Hi, this is Gamer UK, and you're listening to Mazacast with unspeakable accent trends. Please remember, this is for adults only, so if you're not 18, then please find something that won't get you into trouble to do instead. Have a nice, kinky day. Hi, and thanks for downloading another episode. I have no idea what to say. Oh, you know, normally I try to get these episodes out every other weekend, and uh, as I'm talking, it's uh, 11.44 on a Monday. Uh, So I apologize, I've been really, really busy lately, and, um, you know, usually I don't feel too guilty because I say to myself, it's a free podcast, and then someone goes and does something nice like donating to the to the podcast and someone did just uh, in fact two people have this month and it's been so kind it's been really very sweet you don't have to do that but it's uh it means a lot to me that uh, you would spend your hard-earned money just to donate to the podcast and you know now we're completely advertising free other than me talking about the donations and uh, and so it, it means even more this episode it's another episode of kink from around the world uh Ended up, I don't can't remember somehow chatting with someone on FetLife who's in the Netherlands, and she said she would be up for chatting, talking about it, uh, about her experiences uh, in kink. Her name is Luce, and you can find her on FetLife, L-U-C-E. Hope I'm pronouncing her name right. And uh, she wanted me to stress that uh, she is not, uh, you know, on the podcast as a spokesperson for the kink scene in the Netherlands. She's not. That's not her role in this episode. She just happens to be from the Netherlands, and it just happens to tie in with our King from the Around the World feature. But again, she's not speaking on behalf of the other people in uh, the kink scene in the Netherlands, so keep that in mind um, uh, when you're listening to this, because you know this is very unique to her own experiences, this is her, her own passions and her own desires and stuff like that you're going to be hearing about. Uh, and I really appreciate it, because she's uh, some of the stuff she talks about is very enlightening, and... Uh, you know, well, you can hear for yourself. Here's uh, here's Lucha. I, I have to say, um, you know, I, I've had emails from from listeners uh, in the Netherlands, and uh, uh, and I always imagine whenever someone emails me from Europe, I always imagine just like, wow, their scene just must be insane. And whenever I think of like mm-hmm. the Netherlands, I imagine, uh, I imagine it's a, even more insane. It's even more insane. <laughs> and, and maybe that's maybe that's just the whole Amsterdam thing. People, I mean, the Americans, mm-hmm. whenever whenever Amsterdam is pre- uh, depicted in a movie, yes. it's always crazy, insane, and uh, there's yes. lots of sex and all that stuff. Now, obviously, I think that that might just be, uh, you know, Americans, or I should say, you know, most of us just um, assume it's crazy, just like you know Germany, mm-hmm. you know, that. Uh, yeah. Kink is very out there. It's very open. People are very comfortable with it. And usually, uh, I know it's surprising to maybe many uh, listeners who are from the States, but usually uh, those depictions usually aren't that accurate. No, that's true. I think um, some of these depictions were accurate like 10 years ago or at the end of the of the, the 90s of the last century. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, Holland and especially Amsterdam has become much more conservative and um, uh, much more uh, closed down. So yes, there are still kink parties and there are sex parties, but um, there are a lot more regulations. And um, also the general atmosphere uh, in the country has changed um, and has become less open-minded towards uh, sexual minorities like gay people or transgender people. So it's, if you go to Amsterdam, it's still, you can still go to the red light district, but a lot of it has been shut down. And it's really, there's, there's a change in the climate. People are less open-minded. There's less possibility to have parties or uh, be out there. So um, we're still, I think, 
towards most American cities where still we have the, the, the gay pride and we have, you can do a lot of things still here, but it's not that insane as the cliche goes. That's a shame. Which is sometimes a pity, yeah. I was, I was hoping to, to, to go there in the next, you know, few years and, and check it out. Saturday night, it's still a lot of fun. I'm sure it's it still is. A lot of fun. I'm sure. Yeah. It is. Um, but yeah. I, but we won't be able to walk around in, in our fetish wear all the time and and feel totally comfortable. Is what you're saying? No, you can, especially in Amsterdam, and especially in the summer, and there, especially during the Pride Week, for example. During Pride Week, there's a lot of things that you can do that that's different. But it's not. Um, no, you there you will be uh, stared at, and there has. For example, have been a lot of more gay bashings than ten mm. years ago. So there's there's really there's really less open mindedness towards although towards the 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 sexual minorities, but also sexual varieties and kink. So it's yeah, it has become less not less common, but less open. So uh, I, I'm sure you maybe you don't feel comfortable addressing this, but what do you think has changed? You know, usually. Um Sexual openness and sexual freedom usually kind of advances over time, but in the past ten years, it sounds like it's it's decreased. Uh, yes, I think uh, a lot had to do that um, uh, the Netherlands and especially Amsterdam were very open and very open-minded, and Dutch people are still kind of open-minded, but it's very like, okay, you can do whatever you want, but I don't want to know about it. And um, so, yes, there was a lot of tolerance towards uh, minority, but it was like, okay, we can see it or it can be like during Pride and that's fine. But for the rest, I just don't want to know about it. You can have your dark rooms, you can have your, your fetish parties, you can do whatever, but I don't want to know about it. And that has become more conservative. Like, I don't even want to see it and I, I, I want to know about it. It's fine that you do it, but just don't do it in my face. And then you can do it next door and it's totally fine if there's a sex party going on that's totally fine and now it's no I don't want it next door and I don't want to be confronted with it or I don't want so it's uh, it's and there was a kind of open-mindedness but not a curiosity or an openness to okay that's interesting you're whatever you are and let's let's explore or be more open it's like okay that's your thing and I go for it have your party but that's it right so it's a, it's a very uh, closeted open-mindedness. It sounds, it sounds maybe a little bit weird, uh, weird that it's closeted, but it's like, okay, over the next wall, fine. It's my neighbor, that's fine, but that's it. No, no I, communication, no dialogue. That, that, and that's kind of similar. I mean, it's, uh, you know, in, in Manhattan, you can, it's funny because in Manhattan, there are little areas where you can do things uh, and people will get, like, give you really weird looks and, and there, are, there are other parts of Manhattan where people are like, yeah, whatever, you know. Um, yeah. You know, I live, I live in uh, East Harlem. And here, you know, when, uh, if I'm leaving the house with, you know, leather pants on or something like that, there, some people will definitely give me looks. But in, you know, if I go down to Greenwich Village wearing leather pants, it's just like, oh, look, yeah. whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, so what I'm saying is, is Manhattan is exactly like the Netherlands. That's what I'm saying. Okay. No. no. Uh, <laughs> so let's let's talk about your 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 personal experience. Yes. Uh, uh, in the scene, and you know what I usually do is I ask people like when they first realized they were kinky or yes, when they first... uh, the, the famous question like how did you get started in kink? <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so do, do I need to answer it? Yeah. yeah well, you don't need yeah. to. There's no enforcing no, you. I mean, but it, it would be. No. I'm sure it'd be interesting. Yes. Um, well, how do I did I get started? Um, I, it didn't really was a, a, a conscious decision or uh, something that I thought, oh, I'm kinky or I'm interested in kink. But when I grew up, it was uh, I had my first boyfriend, and 
we explored sexual stuff and things like that. And for me, it was very common. Sex was always something that interested me, even when I was younger, and I was always curious. But when we were fooling around, for me, uh, getting into pain or playing with candles, for example, or tying somebody up, was for me, was very like, oh, yeah, let's do that. And not, oh, I'm going to explore. But for me, it was a very natural thing as part of my sexuality. And I thought, okay, I think everybody does it. And then he uh, he responded like when we were trying things out, like, oh, this really hurts and this is really strange and I don't want to do it and this is not how I experience my sexuality. And I was like, oh, that's weird. I thought it was common. And I and he tried stuff on me. He scratched me and I was showing that to my girlfriends from school um, or in when I was 16 or 17. And we're like, um, well that's kind of weird. Did you really enjoy that you have these marks on your body that he hurt you? And I was like, cool, what? See how, how I had a great time and I wanted to show it. And, and then I learned, okay, this is something that's not common. And then um, I kind of drew back on that part of my sexuality. And um, later on, I got more interested into really BDSM and kink. And I started to read about it. And I... Um, I met a new boyfriend, I think it was four years later, and um, he really introduced me like, okay, this is, this is not strange or this is not uncommon. And um, so he really introduced me more actively into the world of kink. So, and, and, so, and, so you kind of realized, okay, this is just uh, something that's dependent on the person I'm with. I, I'm not weird. Or did you still feel kind of apprehensive about it? Oh, I still felt weird. I still felt, even with him, I thought, at, th- at that point, I thought, okay, this is something that, uh, and also because I'm uh, submissive and I wasn't really calling myself a feminist then, but I was really, I really learned and grew up with this image of women being strong and being uh, in control and being powerful and being uh, non-dependent. And then I, I felt these feelings always also towards it. And when we were acting out on, on, on our interesting kings and i thought sometimes i felt like oh is this am i doing something wrong and is this i felt uh, a double a double bind i really enjoyed it but i also felt ashamed that i as a strong woman woman that i've still felt these really submissive feelings and that he was it was pushing me and it was good but i thought like mm, okay i like this but there was also at that point there was still a lot of shame also that it was something weird and that i shouldn't be feeling submissive it's, it's interesting because that that is something that um a lot of uh male friends i have experience that are submissive as well that that experience that mm-hmm. they, it's a, sort of a conflict between oh you're masculine and and i felt this when i was first starting you know you're masculine you're supposed to be you know you're supposed to be the man and uh, and being in a submissive role, that you know, that's not the same. But I, I've kind of maybe maybe over time, I've learned that that's that that's how my submission kind of manifests itself. Is that it, it is a strong, if there is such a thing, a s- strong submission. You know, there 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 is strength in in doing that. Is that mm, what if you yes. you kind of came to the conclusion as well, or? Um, I'm I'm realizing that more and more, and uh, at that point, I, it's almost that my. Um, my head went faster. My head went faster. My thoughts and my desires went faster than my actual, actual uh, exception of my submissiveness. Right. No, I know it's so I thought, wow, I'm now, I'm now just with, yeah, and I, I'm now with this boyfriend, and we can explore all these things. And then when we're doing it, and I was enjoying, it, but also, I wasn't really 
really accepting my uh, submissiveness at that point. It was like, okay, I'm enjoying this, but this, it still felt wrong or something I was ashamed about, even with somebody that was very accepting and very open and, and very kind and stimulating. And um, so it, it was like, okay, I'm living out this fancy, but I'm not totally ready to do it in, in a way. Do you get yeah, what no, I mean? I so it wasn't, it wasn't like... It, it, it's like, it's yeah. like your, 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 your libido or your sex drive is pushing you to something that you're, you're, when you try to, uh, when you try to actually think it out, it doesn't seem logical. It seems like it's almost wrong in, in your head, but, yeah, but, when you're, but your libido yeah. is pushing you to do it because, well, because you're horny or because this is what, whatever. Um, no, that. Yeah, not just my libido, also some desire, some different desire to, to submit, but that I, I wasn't totally not ready at that point. I was, I think, 21, 22. I was, I was open to talk about it and just say to him, yes, I feel like this, but experiencing it, that was, it was a more rational concept and also a desire, but really experiencing it and, and fully, like 100% go for it, I wasn't ready at that point at all. I, I realize now, looking back to it, also. Now, did you have other friends or uh, resources that you could talk to other than the person you were playing no. with? No, no, nobody at that point. He was the only one. He's still one of my best friends. So we, um, he was the only one. But he was also my lover, and I felt insecure with him. So I wasn't uh, feeling comfortable to show every insecurity with him and at that point I didn't have any other person to talk to I was I really was something that I did on my own um, until I think four or five years ago I didn't have a sense of community I read a lot of stuff online I, I, I bought books and stuff like that but really um, contact and communicate talking to other people about it I didn't do and I know that now that it that is so important to have these other people that can also share your experiences and also uh, maybe recognize or acknowledge that yes you aren't weird that you feel certain things or feel weird about anything or you want something and you really like it and then you also feel ashamed about it because I thought well I like this so I have to like it and feeling ashamed about it is stupid so I was blaming yeah. myself and then later on I learned from other people like no that's normal it's not strange it's it's it can be a part of your process or whatever so but no I think until four years ago five years ago I just did it on my own. So what happened four or five years ago? Um, well, um, after the boyfriend, I had uh, some vanilla uh, relationships that I talked about BDSM, but they really didn't get what I was talking about. So I thought, mm, I'm not just going to mention it. And then uh, through my um, uh, through university and my thesis, I uh, I wrote about feminist pornography online, and I got into this whole um, new scene of uh, uh, academics talking about sexuality. And I did gender studies, and I started exploring sexuality, but more from an academic level. And then I became I came uh, in touch with a lot of people that were very very much into different scenes and also the BDSM scene. And I had some encounters and one, not a really a relationship, but um, uh, how do you call it? Well, we, we saw each other for, for a while, but I was at that point still dealing with these feelings by myself. And I mentioned it to friends sometimes, but they really didn't grasp it. And with him, um, it went very deep and it was sometimes rather dark. And I had such a backlash from that experience. It was very good. I don't regret it, but it was so dark that I... I just didn't do anything for two years or even think about BDSM for a couple of years. And then four or five years ago, I still, I felt better and I felt, I felt stuff itching again. And I felt, oh, I really, I'm going to do this all over again. I'm, I'm going to 
almost just be a BDSM virgin mm-hmm. in a way and just get into it but more conscious and then um, uh, trying to find a community and find people and, and, and be more conscious in my decisions and, and, and in how I developed in, in my BDSM experience. So you mentioned something, it was really, really dark. Now, yes. uh, do you want to uh, kind of expand on that a little bit? What do you mean dark? Do you mean it was just very, it was more violent play? It, it was... Um, um, it was sometimes it was rather violent and it was a very intense experience and he was a very uh, powerful uh, dominant very in his energy and in his and I can be very uh, tough so we had almost this fight of who's the toughest mm-hmm. and he was really out there and he told me that and I was fine with that he said well in the end because you're so tough I'm going to try to break you so he he tried in different ways to break me down and then build me up that cliche like oh yes I'm going to break you down and then I'm going to rebuild you and I was like you're never going to get there and also because there was a slight distrust of him I'm still very fond of him and I was fond of him at that point but I knew that if if he if I would give myself fully well um I would almost lose myself so it was this this fight but there was also this interest because he reached he really reached to the dark uh, yeah, elements inside the, the desires and the and the hunger and the and the needs, and it uh, so that's that made it good and and dark in the end. And we so at one point we had one session that was over the internet, and it was so. Uh, I closed my computer after it, and I was like, "Oh, I don't, I don't know what I just did." And there was just this emptiness in a way, like, "Okay, now the computer is shut down, and there's nothing." Right. And yeah, and he really touched some dark elements that I can now easier uh, access easier or talk about it. And but at that point, he just went straight, straight to so it. So that's that sort of uh, led you to you said take a break for a couple of years, and yes. then you said, okay, yeah. I'm I'm a I'm a BDSM virgin. How do I get back into this? Did you seek out communities or did you? go on you know dates or how did how did you go from there well i followed a lot of blogs uh especially the the american one so i uh, i got into the the blogs about kink and bdsm and then um three years ago i discovered fed life which was like wow and uh, a community that i really really much very much mm-hmm. enjoyed and um and this might this might sound strange but for me um at that point four years ago i started uh, the documentary i'm or I'm working on in a way because uh, and that's about my coming of age in a way in BDSM right. sense because I felt like this virgin and I knew that I needed a, a sometimes a push in the back like okay you have to go on do it don't be don't be shy don't be afraid just go for it and uh, so I also used that documentary and knowing that I want also want to, wanting to show that BDSM isn't that evil or dark or um, cliche image of people running around in black clothes and whipping each other and and this kind of freaky cliche that's that's hanging around yeah. BDSM because uh, I thought well there are a lot of people like me that well, seem normal and don't seem like sex crazed freaks in a way I made a conscious decision to go back into the scene and not just go uh, and just find a community and find people that I've, I connected with. And um, the filmmaker that I'm working with was already a friend at that time. And, uh, and we connected uh, on many levels also talking about sexuality. So it felt also safe that she was around in this, in this uh, well, this search or this, this new 
coming of age thing that I I knew that I wasn't alone because that was very important for me at that so time. So is the documentary still still a work in progress or is it is it done or? Um, it's uh, it's still a work in progress, but we hope to be done uh, this summer. It's really brave to to put yourself out there like that, though. Yes, and uh, there are more people who mention it, and I can imagine that it's brave. But for me, it was also just something. Uh, this sounds a little bit weird, but I needed to do because uh, I think, as I mentioned before, that there are maybe more people that are have BDSM interests or feel these 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 desires or 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 um, wants or or elements in themselves, but are um, turned off by the well the cliche images. If you mention if I mention BDSM in a regular conversation, it's always like oh yes, but those people are well feeling every cliche you can mention. And I think well, I want to show that 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 not that I'm the example of, of, of the perfect role model of somebody that's normal and also into BDSM, quote unquote right. normal, but show that, that there are more people and that, that it's, uh, how, and, and show the, show the, well, the, the, the difficulties you find, the insecurities. And I just really felt like I needed to do that, hoping that maybe some other people would recognize things or feel like, wow, if, if, it does. It, it isn't that scary as I thought it was, or isn't that wrong, or it isn't that um, whatever you can think of negative stuff. But it's it's it can be more positive as well. No, that's the, that's almost the same reason why I started the podcast because so that people would hear other people in the scene and not be afraid. You know. Um, yes, and also also share your insecurities, and that's also what I like about your podcast and the interviews that you that people feel safe enough to share their insecurities, and that's. It makes it more real and more human, and not this, 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 this uh, image, and that that's just one layer. But it makes it more knowing that other people that that are into the scene. Because when I started out, I was always like, oh, everybody who's in the scene knows what they're doing, and they're fully uh, sexually like liberated. But it's not always the case. I've learned so much from the the conversation with even like the most sexual liberated people but they were still insecure and showing that insecurity and showing the the humanness of this is also something that i find really interesting also to see how people deal with it but also very uh, freeing that you can be insecure and can show that and be vulnerable and and it's not always like oh let's see how tough we yeah. are and especially yeah and, and i and i think people who are submissive are have a slight advantage over people who are dominant as far as when they're first starting out, right? Because, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, when, you, when you're first starting out, you don't really need to know anything as far as technique or anything like that. I mean, it, it's definitely helpful. Yes. But, you know, we, we as submissives, when we go into a scene, if we meet someone and they appear to be, you know, have some knowledge, then, you know, we can kind of learn from that experience. Whereas if someone who's dominant and just starting out, um, there's a lot of self-consciousness going on there, right? I mean, uh, I, I have yeah. friends who, uh, you know, are, are are dominant or identify as dominant, and the first, the hardest thing for them was their first scene because they didn't want to be viewed as someone who didn't know what the hell yeah. they were doing. You know, I mean, obviously there yeah. are there are things that submissives experience that dominants don't have to worry about, but all that all that being mm -hmm. said, you know, I think. Um, it helps to show that you know dominants feel insecure too, and dominants feel like you know, like oh my god, what am I doing? You know. Yeah, but also what I what I learned from discussions or talks with dominants also that they some some or a lot of them that I met also had to to be uh, be feel comfortable with 
with knowing that they wanted to hurt yeah. somebody or wanted to do something mean to or evil in what or what can be regarded as evil or sadistic and also that part of, of accepting that part of you and being submissive maybe i don't know if it's easier but uh, and, and i think that's also different for men and for women although i had difficulties with my submissiveness i think it's easier for women to in a way and that's i don't want to generalize but to be to show some submissive sides yeah and uh um but that's but that, from the dominant perspective that's what i also learned that that the, the yeah accepting that you maybe sometimes want to hurt people or want to do people or make people cry is something that's not very socially acceptable you, you weren't on fet life and you were started meeting more local people I went more to uh, to events and to parties, and um, well, I met a lot of people through the things I was organizing. So that was, in a way, a luxury because uh, I had a lot of people in in the international community that showed me where to go or we we could talk about it. And um, so I slowly started to take my steps and meet people and not just go for the first person that uh, almost said oh yes of course i want to dominate you but just take my time and getting to know people so um that was uh my um yeah my stepping back in or not just stepping back into that scene because but actually just really stepping into mm -hmm. the scene because i didn't step into any scene i just did it by right. myself so um yeah so that that slowly developed and uh and became more comfortable and and uh and pleasant also I'm always fascinated. I've talked to people from a few different countries um, and, and cities, and I've, I'm always amazed by how different things are and how uh, in, in different areas. Like I know in L.A., um, in L.A., a lot of the, the parties are usually swingers parties that have, you know, some kink associated with them. There's a lot of, most of the plays in bars and stuff like that. They don't have like kink clubs or anything like that. Uh, and like in the Midwest, it's almost, in, it's mo almost exclusively private play and, and small play parties at people's homes because they don't have clubs and stuff like that. Um, what's the, what's the, what's the scene like there in, in, in the Netherlands? Um, as far as I've experienced in the Netherlands, that um, there's a lot of focus. The, the main parties that are uh, well advertised and well known are mostly uh, fetish parties with some play elements uh, to it. But the focus is very much uh, towards fetish. So you're uh, obliged to wear fetish wear and it's a very strict dress code and people really pull out everything to to make the works to uh, to get in full fetish gear but there's most at these parties uh, there's not a lot of playing going on there might be some performances and there might be some playing but they're not really uh, aimed for play parties there's also there are also a lot of swingers who like to dress up in something rubber or corsets or whatever so it's more sex than bdsm mm -hmm. and playing and um and th those are the, the main parties there are, are also um of course the the play parties but they're less well known and uh not as as big and um yeah they're very interesting but they're it's very much a uh, straight uh, heterosexual oriented. Right. So, um, yeah. Yeah, that, that's so. That's how I would generalize the Dutch, uh, the Dutch parties that I've been to and the Dutch scene that I've been uh, into. So, like, I, I know, uh, like, we have a few specifically fetish only, par you know, I should say not fetish only, but it's mostly fetish oriented parties here, uh, mm -hmm. where where play is is secondary. And sometimes, if you, I made the mistake going to a fetish party, assuming 
this is when I first started out here in New York, that assuming that if you were if you're going to a fetish party, you were also into BDSM. And that's yes. definitely not the case when you go to a fetish party. No. Um, they'll be like, what? You're weird. You know, why are you? And some people are just dress up just to just to dress up. Whereas I just assumed, you know, that the, the fetish party was where you'd go to meet people and then you'd go home with them or whatever. Uh, and it sounds like it's similar, similar there, right? The fetish is yes, like, it's more like a, a dance party and a sex party where people dress up. And also fetish is very much uh, focused on what you're wearing. It's if you would uh, be uh, a foot fetishist, you might get off, but it's not, you would be looked weird, by some people you would be looked weird upon. Mm. Or different fetishes that are not, on, not that much focused on rubber or corsets or high heels. It's, there's a really a strict, it's, it's really... Um, well, uh, fashionable fetish yes, in a way. Yes. Um, and as far as the as far as the private play parties go, um, yeah. Here, if you go to a private play party, the chances of there being also sex are very slim. You know, the the, the chance of mm-hmm. there being sex involved is for some reason. I think because most of the public play parties, you know, you can't have sex at the public play parties yes. here. Um, and so I think people kind of have just associated. Uh, that there is no actual sex when you are at a private play party too, because that's what they're used to. Is it similar? Is it similar mm-hmm. there? Um, no, there there is uh, there is sex uh, involved. Although you have some really uh, specific play parties that are really geared, for example, uh, just for femdom, that is really geared towards play and sex is less accepted. But most of the parties that are that are better known. Um, there, uh, there's also sex involved. It doesn't have to be, and it's not fully out there. And sometimes it's it's looked down upon that people are having sex as well. Mm-hmm. But it's not a taboo, or it's not that it's not um, you're not allowed to have sex or whatever. And most of the times there are separate rooms where you can have sex if you really want to have sex after playing or during whatever. So um, it's not a it's not a, a, a strict separation. Do you find uh, that there is um, that there that there's a a majority of people who are into one specific thing or I'll give you an example I've talked to uh, I've talked to some people in some cities and they say that uh, you know where they are it's very male dominant oriented in other places it's very female dominant oriented have, have you noticed any lean one way or, or the other um, my experience is that uh, the the parties that I've been that are more the the, the, the bigger parties it's more male dominant oriented although there are some uh female dominance as well but and it's very a uh, very heterosexual there's a, a very strict segregation between heterosexual and gay and queer queer is even not that common here in holland so um it's a very um heterosexual experience and um you you're not it's not very easy to find uh, a gay couple or a more queer oriented couple at the, at the bdsm parties that um that are out here in Holland. Why, why do you think that so, is? So, and then it's, um, well, I think it comes back to what I mentioned before, that people are very, um, they're f- people are fine with maybe gay people or lesbians, whatever, but it's not, they, they, they it's not that they do not mix because people, they will mix. No, it's not common for people to look over the boundary. And it's, and my experience with the BDSM scene, it is very, very straight. And of course you have the gay clubs and the gay community, and, but they're very far uh, from each other, and there's not really a, a blend. And that's what that's what I personally miss a lot in in Holland. It's very um, very separated. So let's let's talk about some of your the the or, uh, the organizations and different events that you 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 manage. 
Yes. And, um, because it sounds like you've got quite a bit, quite a bit of stuff going on. Uh, yeah, I keep forgetting that it's quite a lot, but um, yes, there are there, there are different things that I'm uh, I'm working on. I'm uh, well, I'm in the queer the Dutch queer scene, so we're we're organizing a lot of events around queer sexuality, about uh, masculinity and femininity, and the concept of what it is to be a man or be masculine, and also connected to sexuality. And we're uh, doing a lot uh, within the gay scene at this moment, especially for young gay people. But I'm also working on a book with interviews and portraits of sex workers. So I'm also very much into the sex worker rights mm-hmm. uh, movement, if you could call it like that. And um, and speaking of BDSM, we're also uh, organizing. I, we did uh, the Usual Suspect. That's an uh, based on the Unconference and the I think it's the group by Grey Dancer. Mm-hmm. So and that was actually also an example of. Not because we, I did it with a lot of people, but that's, that's the sense what I got from our audience, which were like, wow, it's an unconference and we have to bring our own topics and we have to discuss. And it's not, people weren't sure what was going to happen, but we had this really, this, this, this great experience of this great uh, feeling that people said, well, there's something else, there's something new going on in Holland and there's, uh, there's, there's becoming, uh, people are becoming more open. So we're doing a, a continuation on, uh, on the usual suspects and the Eurogrew. So um, that will be in October. And um, four years only, which is an audio erotica project I'm working on with my, uh, one of my best friends. That's, and that's, that's right. We should, let's talk about that because I've listened to, you know, they're not all in English, so I can only understand yes. the ones in English. But I do listen to the non-English ones and I assume mm-hmm. they're very hot. Yes, yes. Although one of my favorite stories is still the one of the English ones. But yes, we invite people from all over the world to um, read a favorite story or write their own story. And we invite writers from Holland and actors from Holland to read an erotic story. And we post them online and people can download them for free. And sometimes we have live readings, I think once or twice a year mm-hmm. at uh, events where people we invite people to uh, to leave, read their erotica life. And you can hear it on your um headset because it's for your ears only so it's a private one-on-one feeling that people that somebody is really reading for you only and not for somebody else yeah it's a a great podcast and i i I will have the link you know uh uh on 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 the website um something when 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 we were emailing back and forth on fetlife you you kind of gave me sort of a rundown of uh of who you were and what you did and you you started off by saying I'm a sex positive feminist, which is not really a common term in the Netherlands. No, not at all. What can can you explain why why is because when I hear sex positive feminist, I hear that phrase all the time here. Right? Yes. Um, no, it's no in Holland that is completely. Uh, I, I I I never uh, when I was younger I, I would never call myself a feminist, although I I believed in the, in the, the feminist rights. But the Dutch feminist movement started in the 70s. It was very, very much at that point, uh, like men are bad and women should uh, get rid of all the men. And uh, they're very stereotypical that you also had in the U.S. The, what is it, porn is theory and rape is the practice, like men are bad and sex is bad. And then in the U.S. you had like people like Annie Sprinkle and Carol Queen who opposed this really sex-negative uh, um, wave of feminism, which was imp- that wave of feminism was feminism was important for many other reasons, but sexuality was really uh, something well, almost not taboo, but something very negative. And but that wave of sex positive feminism, we never had in the ho- in Holland. It was uh, it just 
as feminism developed, but but the whole sexual part of it, because and uh, I think a lot of women didn't really have the feeling that sex positive feminism was something uh, because we were something important because we were in Holland and we were open minded, and I think a lot of people thought of themselves as being open minded. So this whole sexual involvement that the sex positive feminists did, like any, the whole all the people that that we know is something that is actually slowly starting now and sex positive feminism is slowly becoming a more known term but when i uh, learned about uh, people like annie sprinkle then i thought oh that's my kind of feminism this is where now i'm proud to call myself a feminist before i still had that shame like oh yes but people now think i will burn my bras and, uh, and, and 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 hate men and then i discovered this whole this this whole group of, of women and men and queers also queer is not a common term here but um that's uh that that never reached the never reached holland that that whole uh development that sexual development and also uh, uh the uh, emancipation that that comes next to it it's not just about sex but also about uh, sexual minorities and identity and and uh that that's is something completely new. You've gotten some uh, friction from those who identify as just feminists, not sex yes. positive. You, you have? Yes. Yes. When I started, uh, uh, I organized some events a couple of years ago, which were uh, kind of uh, rather broadly uh, in the media, and I had some people, especially feminists, that really thought like, "This is not. This is not what feminism is about." You're, you're not because we had this at that point. We had a whole feminist discussion about pornification, and it was pornification was our term for women that use porn as something to say, "Oh, I'm so liberated." And uh, uh, there was a lot of discussion about um, sexualization and pornification as something bad. There were also everybody was talking about internet is evil because you can find porn and women are degraded, and it was almost. Uh, 21st century re re uh, repeating the 70s. Mm -hmm. Not that men were evil, but now it was the media that were evil because they were showing us these images and sex was used for something to objectify women. And when I started I um, organizing, I I experienced, I, I learned from, from, from Annie Sprinkle and from the people I met in Berlin and from these, these people that were saying, well, uh, you have these negative uh, stereotypical stuff about sexuality, but let's oppose them with something positive and see sex as something that, that, that's good and that, that you can explore. And when I tried to introduce that and put that into the events that I did, a lot of people were like, yes, but now you're uh, reinforcing the stereotypes and you're you're uh, making it even worse for women because now you're saying it's good to be sexual or good to make alternative porn because the whole term of alternative porn are like no porn is bad and porn is always degrading and then showing that porn can be actually something political even and something that that's that's that can be part of a feminist movement was something that wasn't really easily uh, accepted and, and i was really there were quite some people that really thought well no, it's not good to be uh, to be positive about sexuality and pornography because you have to push it away and get rid of it. Well, I, you know, it's funny because I can uh, if I if I can see porn that it that is clearly uh, not feminist, right? Mm -hmm. like you, you can, yes. it's not hard to find, right? What is your definition of of feminist porn? Oh, that's always a good question. My definition of feminist porn is not specifically, it doesn't have to be porn that's made by women, but it's, it's porn that shows female sexuality uh, in a way 
that I know and maybe have to have some background information that, that the women that I see are enjoying it, that, that it shows different ways of, of sexuality. It can be queer sexuality or it can be maybe just straight male and female sexuality, but that the, it's a focus on the, the, the female pleasure. And not just that women need to get off and then it's feminist porn, but that it's it shows that um, porn and sexuality is not about the, the porn cliche uh, men uh, getting a blowjob, uh, coming on the on the breasts and uh, fucking and that's it. But it's, right. it's showing this whole big realm of what sex can be and uh, and also uh, feminist porn makers taking a stand for what they're what they're doing and 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 just uh, so feminist. It's hard to describe. It's not just a label you can put and and say okay, it has these ingredients and now it's feminist porn. Right. But it's 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 about the filmmaker being having integrity for the film that they're that they're making, but also for the audience and especially also for the performers being. Uh, making sure that they are, are treated well and that they are paid well, that they're enjoying themselves, including their, maybe the, the input that performers put into the, to their sex, that their show, and take, that, take their input as, um, as um, the, the input for the film and really showing these different kinds of sexualities. For me, that's feminist porn. Well, and, when I first started, I should say not when I first started, but you know, I used I used to watch a lot of uh, female dominant porn. You know? Yes, and I got turned off by it pretty quickly because there were so many scenes where it was clear that the female wasn't really enjoying what she was doing. Yeah, you know, if there was any type of porn that should be uh, where the female is enjoying herself, you'd think it would be female dominant porn, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that was qu- quite the opposite. There's sometimes that I'd watch this and it would be like clearly she's not enjoying herself, you know. And- can be equally objectifying just yeah. because uh, it, these films are made to uh, to live up to a certain uh, ideal or a certain uh, stereotype and that's what these women probably have to fit into so it's not that that they are enjoying themselves they have to do certain things because that is what the audience wants for example yes yes yeah and and, and, mm-hmm. and watching it I remember just thinking wow I should you know because I, I, I consider myself a feminist, but I think a lot of there's a lot of guys out there who consider themselves feminists, but um, are afraid to to speak out about it because because there's some sometimes you know men can get uh, some some friction from from people who are not men you know from women mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. because in my experience. I've got several friends who are feminists, and anytime I I try to you know express my support, I end up coming off like like an asshole. Or, really? Or, Why? Well, not okay. Let, let me. I'll give you. Uh, I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking about uh, there's there's some fem some female dominant porn that uh, that I thought looked clearly like the female was enjoying it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but the fact that I was enjoying the fact that she was enjoying it. Meant that I was objectifying the the woman, and yes. and and so and therefore, um, and because I was getting turned on by this, uh, therefore uh, I was, uh, I was you know, and, and and any objectifying what whatsoever made me a bad person, right? Oh, um, but that's a difficult discussion, but because there's always an element of objectifying, I think, or not always, I think that can be a part of the enjoyment, but it's. Is, are you? If I watch porn, I'm not. Well, maybe in a way, I'm also objectifying the the, the, the people that I'm watching and I'm I'm getting off on. 
but it's not that I'm. Uh, oh, how is this? This is hard to. I know, you, right? I know, right? So, so this is why me. Yeah, you know, whenever, um, whenever. Uh, there's like a feminist porn discussion. I have learned that what the best thing for me to say is, "Yes, you're absolutely right." Yes, and because, and and and, and, and because they are right. Usually, you know, usually when I'm talking, you know, if I if I find them just you know saying something I don't agree with, then I'll I'll say something. But rather than add my two cents, mm-hmm. I found that it's smarter for me just to shut up and say, "Yep," and just whatever she said is absolutely right. Because, and that's a pity because in the whole discussion about. Uh, feminist porn and also about porn and sexuality in general I'm interested in what women have to say about it but I'm even not even more but I'm equally interested in what men have to say about it because men for a long time have been the main target group for pornography and I'm very interested in what in what the reactions are on what we can call feminist porn or alternative porn or uh, porn that doesn't fit, fit the commercial uh, uh, um, well stereotypes I'm very interested in what men have to say and if that's objectifying or not that's well that's a whole different discussion but I think men should be involved in the whole discussion about feminist porn and 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 uh, sexuality in general mm-hmm. it's not that we have to push out push out men or not or say well yes if you are when if you like that she's enjoying it you're objectifying her and so therefore you're wrong and maybe even more so if you're a man because well all men objectify in a way that's also I'm not saying that that was in your discussion but that's what I learned from discussion in Holland is that yeah well men should actually shut up for a while because well they have been the the wrongdoers anyway and and I listen I'm the first to admit that I think guys should shut up you know yes for a while but for a while and but after a while, I think it's also important to include the men again because otherwise you have this this whole development of women uh, making all these or exploring sexuality and 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 other people, trans people or queer people or gay people are exploring. But the straight man is kind of put away because yes, he has been wrong for so many years of doing wrong, and now exclude him. And for a while, that's good because you have to find your own sense in a way or your own. Uh, identity or how you can call it but I think men should be at we're at the point now that the men should be included again or slowly included right but I mean at the same time there's still that part of me that says you know what I'm a straight white guy I think people have heard from me enough you know over the years you know I think I should probably mm-hmm. just shut up at this point I, w- I would love to see you know uh, kink porn where it's basically the, the male actors are just there just to fulfill whatever the women are requesting, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you also write about, it sounds like, you know, you write about feminist porn, you write about sexuality, and you also yeah. write about uh, gender identity. Yes. And that's something that, that, that uh, if you go to a lot of the, like, the unconferences here, or if you go to some of the, uh, like, we have TESS uh, mm-hmm. and organizations, that, that, that subject gets uh, brought up quite a bit. Is, yeah. is gender identity something that uh, is, is fairly new as far as discussions go? Um, um, yes, it is. And I've been very much inspired by, for example, uh, um, Sinclair Sexsmith uh, talk, uh, writing about yeah. uh, gender identity, about masculinity, and also the more academic discourses about butch and femme and, and all the different gender identities that, that, are, that are there that are still... There's something new in Holland, and that's what we're trying to do with our... But uh, I collaborate with two other people and organizing um, a bigger festival. And we're now really looking at 
the gender identity and how can you approach the concept yeah it always sounds so um, intellectual and we want to try, we want to try to make it real but the concepts about what what's masculinity what's femininity what's this concept of because there's a lot of discussion in Holland now about the real man and about how do how do how do men need to behave uh, in this feminist uh, society and men are they don't know how to deal with these strong women and about what is masculinity and what is what what is the gender identity and how is this for butch lesbians or 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 masculine identified women and all these varieties are there that this whole uh, spectrum of, of gender identity and that's something uh, we want to explore and maybe introduce people to and and see uh, well what, what what we get into it, it is a very it's very complicated isn't it it is and, yeah and I think that's why a lot of people don't like to think about it that much but and it is very complicated but on the other hand you can make it what I try to do uh, is try to make it as personal as as uh, possible, and that that's still very hard. My um, this is just a side project that I just I don't do it that often, but I try to interview for now uh, men about uh, masculinity and about the way they define their own masculinity and about how they evolved in their in growing up as being a man and what their concept of being a man is, and then. It gets more personal, and you you realize that a lot of men and also women don't even think about what their interpretation of, of masculinity is, or about yes, I have these role models, but how do I define my own man being a man, or what what does it make? What when do I feel like a man? And then it, it gets more personal. It gets maybe even more complicated, but it gets also more personal because you can ask even every the guy on the street, what what does you what does make you a man, and why do you define as a man? And then you get this whole broad sense of answers and concepts also of masculinity and even if you don't theorize it that much or intellectualize it it, it makes it, it for me i think it's it's every time it's interesting what people bring to the table and, and if you get these personal stories uh it makes it more accessible yeah. it's my experience i i think i think the the hardest part is that is that you know if if those people who identify as sex positive if we have uh, a difficult time explaining it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's even, you know, it's a thousand times more difficult for people who are vanilla and you know who don't identify as sex positive to understand it. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I had a conversation with a friend recently, and I don't know how we got in the co- co- you know, on the topic, but uh, was talking about uh, transgender people. Yes. And um, and the the fact that I have I have a transgender friend who who has a penis who wants to be known as she. And her, mm-hmm. this was just freaked my friend out. Yeah, and it was like no, because if you have a penis, you are a he. And it was yeah. ve- you know he was very he's very adamant about this. Uh, is do you find the same frustration when talking to people and trying to educate people there? Yes, it it, it can be very uh, uh, very difficult, especially because a lot of people still base gender on sex. And yes, if somebody has a penis, it's a man. But if you ask, yeah, well, if uh, if you've known somebody for years and always seen that person as a woman and suddenly you learn that that woman has a penis, suddenly it changes into a man. But no, that's something, it's it's very, very hard to, uh, yeah, especially if somebody's pretty straightforward, vanilla, heterosexual, uh, to show these different uh, or discuss these different varieties of, of how you can experience gender. 
And um, yeah, it can be some, sometimes very frustrating. And that's also why I also want to uh, hear people's personal stories about what they for themselves thing just not just masculinity but what what is a man and what is a woman how do you what are your what's your list of characteristics that you make for a man and a woman and then if you say well i've talked to this and this person but this is a whole different list of what is a man and woman then you say oh well yes that could also be defined as masculine or feminine mm-hmm. and and that then then you can that's kind of a conversation starter and people tend to lose up loosen up a little bit in their in the, but it's it, because it's also so personal. It's, that's also because you're reaching somebody per, somebody's security or personal space. So if you're saying, well, actually, what you know can be different as well, and what you feel safe in can be actually a different experience. Or, uh, well, you think that a man is a man and a woman is a woman, but actually, there's this whole different range of people that uh, that identify as differently or or that don't fit your basic uh duality if people yeah tend to take it very personally it, it it addresses somebody's personal space and that makes it also very different and uh, difficult i think when when people think of uh the netherlands i think they think of that that's like the most liberated place yeah. uh, for sex workers rights mm-hmm. um uh, but you mentioned something briefly earlier about about that changing a little bit yeah and not for the not for the better no certainly not for the better um well the red light district which is of course still one of the the the, the coolest places for tourists to go yeah um it has been uh, it has been shut down and there's a lot of um sex work has been legalized in uh, 11 years ago and uh, as a way to uh, give more uh, independence to sex workers and make them more empowered and uh, at this point sex work is still a big taboo and and at this point there's still there's a lot of discussion about trafficking and about forced prostitution and forced sex work and with now the result that a lot of uh, these uh, positive developments or uh, empowering uh, steps are taken back and a lot of uh, places are closed down and and women are forced to uh, leave their jobs or their places because um, the city of Amsterdam doesn't want to be associated with sex work that much anymore and they want to have a different uh, approach to uh, sexuality and instead of looking to for different positive ways to do it shutting down and closing down and, and taking away rights is the way to do it at this point in the Netherlands I, I really it's kind of like you know, as someone from from the States uh, whenever I hear about you know something that's kind of when, when rights have been taken back a little bit mm-hmm. it always makes me go oh damn because we I'm yeah. I'm always I'm always hoping that you know all this stuff that happens in Europe is going to kind of trickle over here mm-hmm. and then when it doesn't I'm just like it just it, it kind of crushes me a little bit you know yeah 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 and, which I is silly of- because it, it's almost like and I think there's a lot of people who feel this they think okay Europe you guys go ahead and, and be the innovators and we'll adapt it you know about 20 years later mm-hmm. uh you do all the hard work, and once we see yes. that you're doing it, you're doing it right, and you're enjoying it, yeah. then we'll do it too. You yeah, know? and we'll take your knowledge, and we can uh, apply it in uh, in in our space. Yeah. You can make the, the 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 mistakes and fall down, and then improve it, and then when it's all improved, you can use it and uh, for the better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 but it's unfortunately it's not um, 
uh, a line. It's 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 um, it's a wave. Sometimes you go up and then you go down. And I wish developments would go in a straight line up. And giving rights would be it would be a logical way that okay, uh, for in this way, sex workers have been given rights. So eleven years later, it, we're going to improve it even more and make uh, working circumstances or uh, getting them uh, a loan to buy a house or whatever even very basic stuff that can be now we're, we're now at that point but no we're not at that point no we're taking the, it away and putting the taboo back there's still a d- taboo on sex work sex work is still a very uh, taboo subject but it's getting back into the closet again with these new regulations uh, actually implying that sex work is something that actually we shouldn't allow or shouldn't uh, make room for or shouldn't improve in a way. Mm-hmm. I, I always ask when I'm, when I'm talking to someone from uh, another country about uh, for those people who visit mm-hmm. uh, and they're kinky, where would you suggest they go? What do you, what would you say, suggest they do? Um, I, I know Saad and I are planning to, to go to the Netherlands in the next couple of years. We want to kind of take a European tour. Where, mm-hmm. where would you suggest we go? Who would you suggest we talk to? And, and, and how, do we, how, do we, how do we navigate the kink scene there? Um, let's see. Who should, um, well, in Amsterdam, there are some great stores. Uh, and not big, uh, they're, they're commercial stores, but they're great resources for good parties they're very gay oriented but they're open-minded to uh to many different genders and and, and sexual preferences what are their names it's one is rob and that's uh rob's flagship store and they sell a lot of sex toys and uh, very geared toward the uh, towards the gay community but they have great resources for for kink parties and uh events and actually, outside of um, Amsterdam, uh, I don't live in Amsterdam myself. I live in Utrecht, which is well, 30 minutes away from, from Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. And they have, uh, uh, we have an American lady uh, opening a, a BDSM shop. And she's very much into community building. And the shop is called Laced Up. And she gives a lot of munches and uh, drinks and parties. And uh, she has really uh, be, been building uh, a Dutch, a newer Dutch community, especially in Utrecht, but also... Now people are coming all over Holland to her to her store, but also the the workshops she gives, and she's re- really one of the main sources for for um, information about um, where to go, what to do, what interesting places there are, what kind of events, and um, she's really a community builder. The and that place has really uh, really improved uh, the Dutch community in a way. But so there's there's definitely places for for kinks, kinky people to go. Yes. Uh, party and, and and have a good time and and go nuts. Oh yes, still yes, yes, yes. We're not. It's not that we're completely uh, dead here. No, there's still a lot going on. I, I could mention some names, but that they, those names could be different in half a year because it's sure. still so much evolving. But there's a lot of fun to have in Holland, and if you come here, I would definitely suggest some good events to go to. Uh, you mentioned that you're you're on Fet Life. Yeah, and and people can contact you there. Your your name L U C E. Yes, is your username. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for inviting me. I really really enjoyed it. Thank you again to Lucia. Again, she wanted me to stress that she is not speaking on behalf of the Kingsters in the Netherlands. She's just representing her own personal experiences. You, if you want to contact her yourself, you can find her on FetLife, L-U-C-E. You can find me on FetLife, Massacast, M-I-S-O-C-A-S-T, where you can friend me or you can, you know, 
just say hi. So thank you very much. Hope you have a good couple of weeks. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.